Good morning, Calvary Satterton, and good morning, Calvary Quakertown. And if you're new to Calvary Church and you wonder why we say that each week, it's because we not only have this campus in Satterton, we also have a campus in Quakertown. And if you're visiting with us today or you're closer to Quakertown, you're invited to visit that campus. We don't mind you being here. But if that would um, kind of add to or take away some of the logistics allowing you to go there, we invite you to visit there. If you've never been there, check out the Calvary campus uh, one weekend during the summer. Well, as the video just reminded us, we're in a series that we're calling Summer of 2017, but we're trying to figure out how we can get busy living the way God wants us to live, the way life is intended to be lived, rather than just going through the routine of how we've always done it without experiencing what God wants us to. How many of you remember a couple of months ago, I spoke from 2 Timothy on the topic of metamorphosis. If you remember that, raise your hand. All right, how many of you don't remember that, but you don't want to hurt my feelings, and so you raise your hand? Yeah, a few of you. Well, that morning, the whole idea was God is about transforming us from what we were or are to what he wants us to be. And we looked at the process of an egg becoming a butterfly to remind us that we're in process as well, and God's working that process of transformation. At the end of that message, I said there are a few words that we really need to learn and then practice saying if we're going to cooperate with God in that transformational process. And those words were no, yes, forgive me, and help. Well, ever since that message, I've been thinking about those words. And so since I've been thinking about them, you're going to think about at least one of them today. Um, because I think that in those words, or the living out of those words, we really can find out what it means to get busy living. So this morning, we're going to look at the word no, and we're going to talk about saying no. So let's practice that. You all say, no. that wasn't too good. Let's try that again. No. Now, here was the point. Our lives are often so full of activities and responsibilities, duties, that there's no real space in our lives to add anything to them. And so when God comes along and says, why do you like you to add this? I want you to do that. Would you volunteer for this? Would you say that? There's no space in our lives for God to even have a nook or a cranny, let alone a parking spot. It's kind of like God's trying to find a parking spot in Ocean City so you can go to Boardwalk that night. And I don't know about you, I don't want to pay 25 bucks for parking, so I spend $30 in gas riding around trying to find a parking spot that I don't have to pay for. But I wonder if God ever kind of feels like that with our lives. He kind of drives up and he would like a little space in our lives, a little time where we can read the Bible and think about what it means for us, a little time to pray and talk to him, a little time to serve the community that we call Calvary, a little bit of time to serve people outside the Calvary community in our larger community, maybe at work or in your development. But there's no space because we have filled every little nook and cranny with something. There's no space for God to get a hold. Well, you've got to say no in order to say yes. So what we're going to do this morning is spend a little time thinking about saying no and saying no appropriately. Now, I need to tell you right up front, there are little no's and big no's. 
There are good no's and there are bad no's. Not big noses and little noses. There are those too, but that's not our topic this morning. We're talking about big no's and little no's, good no's and bad no's. There are some good no's that we need to know something about. My guess is most of you have seen this screen before. Some of you have seen this dozens of times already today. When your cell phone rings, you have a choice, don't you? You can either decline that call by hitting the red button. You can say no, or you can hit the green button and say yes. But here's what you quickly discover. If you decline it, they know you declined it, right? And so I just let it ring in my pocket if I don't want to talk because then they think you misplaced the phone or something. But the point is, are you going to decline or are you going to accept the calls that come to you? Well, we need to learn about saying no, declining some calls, so that we can accept some other calls. So, for example, if God's calling you to do something, but you're already on the phone doing something else, you can't even answer the call, right? So you've got to make some declines in order to accept some other calls. That's what we're going to think about. Now, there are some summer no's that you should be aware of if you don't. For example, answer, should you swim without lifeguards? Let's try that again. Should you swim without lifeguards? Should you go out without sunblock? Should you... <laughs> yeah, it always has to be a couple in the group, right? Should you skip dinner so you can eat boardwalk food all night? Uh, yeah. <laughs> that wasn't even close. Well, there are lots of summer no's, right? Things we have to say no to in order to say yes to something else. Now, what's the real season for no's? It's not summer. Summer's kind of the season of yeses, right? The season of no is New Year's, isn't it? When you, when you say no to things, we make New Year's resolutions, some of you, which is in a sense saying no. And if you don't believe me that right after New Year's is a season of no, you haven't been to a gym in January. And then there's even a religious season of no's that we call Lent. And what happens at Lent? Well, lots of church-going people come up with what they're going to give up for Lent, what they're going to say no to. And they say no to things like chocolate. They say no to alcohol. They say no to tweeting. Our president hasn't said no to that, but um, you got to say, and so there's a season of no, there's religious no. And do you know there are lots of good no's in the Bible? I mean, no's are all over the Bible. I'm not sure how much of the Bible you read, but if you read it with your eyes open to find no's, you will find no's all over the Bible. Let me mention a few really good no's from the Bible. All the way back in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, there's a guy who really has had a disappointing life. His name is Joseph. He starts out as kind of a spoiled brat. His brothers really don't like him much. They sell him as a slave. You thought your siblings were mean, right? They sell him as a slave, and he winds up being a servant in Egypt. Now, if anybody has the right to say, I've experienced so much pain in my life, I deserve a little pleasure, it would have been somebody like Joseph, right? I mean, when you're going through a hard time, don't you begin to think, well, you know, I deserve a little fun. I deserve a little pleasure. Well, anyway, Joseph is invited into an illicit sexual relationship with a woman, and Joseph said, no. no. Well, that, that's a pretty good no, by the way, right? Well, if you turn the pages a little bit in the Old Testament, you come upon three guys, and their lives were misery upon misery. They were the up-and-coming leaders in the nation, but their nation was taken over by another, and they were, 
moved hundreds of miles to another nation and they were made servants there. And the whole purpose was to enculturate them into the new culture. And one of the elements of the new culture was you had to worship the idols of that culture. And so these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and their parents should have said no to those names, by the way. Um, they're led out before the idol, and the king says, bow down and worship that idol, or I'm going to kill you. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, well, that's amazing, isn't it? I read through a Nehemiah this past week, and there is a series of four no's that happen in quick succession in Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah is kind of like the general contractor of, Jer of Jerusalem. He's in charge of building a wall around the city. Back then, it was really important, you know, to have a wall around your city. And so, we're, I know wall talk today. It was back then. Uh, building a wall around the city. And the wall's torn down, which means the enemies can just kind of run in. So, Nehemiah gets the workforce together, gathers the laborers, gets the equipment, has everything in place. But the, the surrounding nations didn't want the wall built. They liked free access to Jerusalem. They liked to just walk in. And so they sent Nehemiah a message. Nehemiah, leave Jerusalem, leave the work, you know, give up your, G your uh, GC work for a little bit and meet us out in the desert. And Nehemiah said, no. And they asked him again. Hey, Nehemiah, look, we know what you think is important to build that wall, but it's really important for you to talk to us. We're, we're thinking about we want to come alongside and help you. And Nehemiah said, and the third time they came and said, hey, Nehemiah, you know, this is getting a little ridiculous here. It's not going to take that long. Come meet us for the meeting. And Nehemiah said, and then they wrote and said this, hey, Nehemiah, if you don't come meet us, we're going to tell the emperor that you're building the wall as a treasonous act so you can rebel against him and you're not going to pay any taxes. And Nehemiah said, no. He wouldn't go to the meeting. No, no, no. And I kept saying no. Now, they're really good no's, right? And if you think about it, we have those same situations in our lives, right? We have invitations that we need to say no to. We have situations that we need to say no to, following this or worshiping that. And we have people that want to kind of get us off track, enlist us in their mission rather than God's mission, and we need to say no. So there are a whole bunch of good no's in the Bible. But we're not going to talk about any of those. We're going to talk about some no's that Jesus made. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 4. And I'm going to read probably the most famous set of no's in the Bible. Uh, this passage is called The Temptation of Jesus. And so Jesus is tempted and he keeps saying no, no, no. And so it's important for us to look at under these good no's to look at some of the good no's that Jesus says. So follow along as I read Luke 4, beginning of verse 1, I'll read through 13. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted, tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God... Tell this stone to become bread. Jesus said, no. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, 
No. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand at the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, no. It is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Notice Jesus said no three times. Now, here's my guess. No one in this room is going to be tempted exactly the same way Jesus was tempted. When you're driving home from church today, you're not going to be tempted to pull over to the side of the road, get out, and turn some rocks into bread for lunch. You're not going to be tempted. You're not going to be tempted to climb up onto the roof of your house or the roof of the church and just dive off because the angels are going to catch you. You're not going to be tempted with that. But I also suspect that you and I will be tempted, certainly this week if not today, and certainly in the rest of our lives, we will be tempted in the same ways Jesus was tempted, even though the specifics will be very different. That's what we're going to look at this morning. Well, the first no comes up in the context of the enemy, the tempter saying to Jesus, well, if you're the son of God and you haven't eaten for 40 days, I know you're famished, turn these stones to bread and eat something. You can do it. Jesus says, no. Now, what's going on there? Well, as you can probably tell, Jesus is quoting from the Old Testament. And it's important when somebody's quoting the Old Testament or New Testament to think about and understand the context as to when that quote first was given. So let me give you a little bit of the context. The nation of Israel had been slaves in Egypt for like 400 years. And if you've seen the movie or you've read Exodus, uh, you know their work in Egypt was making bricks. Now let's just think about that for a minute. They were making bricks so that the bricks could build buildings. And the buildings were built to store grain. And the grain was stored to make bread. See how it works? They were building bricks to build buildings as storehouses. The storehouses were built so grain could be kept. And grain could be kept so that people could make bread. Because the whole message of Egypt was all about stuff you got to be careful because your stuff may run out. In fact, we even use bread today to not just refer to the stuff you're making toast out of, right? We refer to money as bread. Everything about sustenance is bread. And so the message of Egypt and the message of our culture in one way or another is your identity and your mission are all tied up with stuff. And you never know when your stuff's going to run out. So you need storehouses because you need to have enough stuff to last you for as long as you're going to live. And after all, wouldn't you like after you check out to leave some stuff to the people you're leaving behind? And so life becomes the accumulation of stuff. Are you ever tempted to do that? Yeah, sure you are. In fact, um, we go through life often according to the philosophy of cookie monster, right? I want cookie. I want stuff. I want houses and money, and I want retirement. None of those things are bad, right? I'm not saying any of them are bad. What I'm saying, though, is where is your trust? You see, in Egypt, the Israelites were tempted to trust 
the accumulation of their stuff. They were building storehouses. So think about this. What does God do? He takes them out of Egypt into the desert. There are no storehouses in the desert. They can't accumulate anything. You can't grow grain even. And what does God say? I will provide for you. I'll give you bread every day. And here's the point. If God doesn't come through, they die in the desert. God says, I don't want you trusting your stuff. I want you trusting me. That has nothing to do or little to do with how much you have. It has to do with what are you trusting, right? Are you trusting your stuff or are you trusting God? If you're trusting stuff, your mission in life becomes the accumulation of stuff. And that was the message the Israelites cut their teeth on in Egypt. So God takes them out of Egypt into a situation where they can't trust any stuff because they don't have any stuff. And God says, I'm going to put you in school. You're going to learn how to trust me. And God comes through every single day. Isn't that a message you need to hear? A message I need to hear? Are you trusting your stuff? Or are you trusting God? Now, here's a, I'm going to give you homework for each one. Here's your homework for that one. Give something up. Don't consume something. Just for a week, all right? For a whole week, like seven days, till next Sunday, right? Give something up. In the Bible, if you give up food for a period of time, that's called a fast. Now, let me, if you have never fasted or you're not kind of tuned into that spiritual discipline, let me remind you, fasting is not biblical dieting, all right? You don't fast to find that beach body in, in the winter. That, that's not what fasting is. Fasting is saying no to your appetites so you can say yes to God, right? So here's the homework assignment. Fast from something. Maybe it is from a meal or so, right? Why do they call breakfast breakfast? Because it's breaking the fast. Well, right, that's kind of the rhythm of life. So maybe you say, you know, my homework for this week, I'm going to fast. Fast from a meal, right? Or maybe. Or maybe you say, oh, I'm not going to fast from a meal, I'm going to fast from shopping. I thought I'd hear a groan at that one, right? Uh, I'm going to fast from shopping and consu- just for a week, right? Just for a week. I'm not going to buy anything. I'm not going to buy anything I don't absolutely need. I'm going to use this week. I'm going to fast from shopping for a week. That'd be a miracle for some, right? So you're fasting. You're saying no to getting stuff. That, that's kind of the homework assignment. Or maybe you need to say no to technology, now, if your work is technology, don't get fired and say, well, Charles told me I'm doing my homework. No, no. But maybe fast from technology when you don't have to be using technology. So whatever the stuff is, the temptation is to find our identity in stuff, right? And that temptation is exactly the same for Jesus, for Israel, and for us. Our temptation is, I am somebody because of what I've accumulated. I am somebody because of what I have. Well, In order to say yes to God, maybe we need to say no to a little bit of stuff so we're able to say yes to God. Give him a little parking spot so he can fit in. To homework, say no. To food, technology, shopping, something. Well, that's the first one. The second temptation is is a little different. It goes like this. The devil led Jesus up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you their authority and splendor. All right, I'm going to stop there. How do you seek authority and splendor? I bet I know. 
through activity, right? For many of you, you seek authority and splendor or beauty through your work. Maybe it's the authority thing. Through your work, you need to rise, you know, through the higher or through the hierarchical org chart, and you have more authority the higher you go, or you put your time in and do all these activities so that you can experience the splendor of, of the payoff that all that activity brings. And maybe you're sitting there feeling pretty good right now. So, well, I'm retired. I'm good on this one. Oh, really? Do you still seek authority and splendor through what you do, through activity, through caring for this and doing that and making this look perfect and like that? You see, we often want the authority and the splendor thing, and what do we do? We take the bull by the horns, and we get that authority, we get that splendor by more and more activity. And before you know it, we have no time left to volunteer to serve or to love people because we're on the activity train, because somehow we've bought the message of our culture that was existing back then, that you really are somebody if you're doing enough activity. You'll get the authority you want. You'll have the reputation you want. You'll build the resume you want if you just do enough stuff and please enough people. See how that works? How you doing on that one? All right, so here's your homework assignment. If saying no to stuff in the Bible, is called fasting. Saying no to activity in the Bible is called Sabbath. It's kind of interesting how God knows all this stuff, doesn't he? I mean, God knows that we're driven by stuff, and so he says, take time out and say no to stuff. Fast. He knows that we're driven by activity, trying to find our identity and become somebody through what we do, through our resume. And so God says, you know what? Call time out on that stuff. Call time out on those activities. Think about this. This is this passage, uh, this incident happened at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. So right after he's baptized, what's the first thing he does? Let me tell you. He does not give a talk. He does not preach a sermon. He does not draw a crowd. He does not recruit a team. He does not train a disciple. He does not write a book. He does not heal a disease. He says no over and over and over. That's how he starts. Why? Because you have to say no to have enough space in order to say yes. And so you can spin out the rest of Jesus' ministry of yeses because he started by saying no. He said no to stuff. He said no to activity. Then he can say yes to all the things that God's going to bring his way. But you got to say no in order to say yes. Jesus understands that. So how about you? Are you ready to take a Sabbath to... uh, not have to be working all the time, not adding value all the time, not being important all the time, not increasing your status all the time. Just call time out. Sabbath. No to stuff, fast. No to activity, Sabbath. So on your vacation, if you haven't had it yet, add God to your vacation by saying no to some activity so you'll have time in order to say yes to him. That's the second one. we got one more. Last one. The devil led him up to a high place and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you were the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, 
He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. He'll lift you up with their hands. What's the point? Jesus, you will really get a following if you take a swan dive off this tower at the temple. Because the Bible says the angels will catch you. And so just imagine, look, this temple's crowded, right? And so when you dive off this temple, you're going to be caught by the angels and you will impress everybody. Jesus says no to approval so he can say yes to God's approval. Do you ever realize how often Jesus disappoints people? And Jesus disappoints people all the time. So here's a real short list. Jesus disappointed the crowd. They wanted to make him king. Jesus said no. Well, they didn't like that. Jesus disappointed the religious leaders because they came out with a whole bunch of hoops he should jump through, and Jesus said no. And they were disappointed and ticked off. Jesus said no to his mothers and brothers. They thought he had gone off the deep end, right? They, they, they thought he was crazy. So they show up and they say, Jesus, you're ruining the family reputation here. People think you're nuts. Come home with us. Come on, let's keep this thing under wraps. Jesus said no. And they were really disappointed. Jesus said no to Herod. Herod wanted to see a miracle. Jesus said no. And Herod said, well, what the heck? Jesus said no to James and John. Remember, they even enlist their mother to help. Jesus, can we sit at your right hand and left hand when you enter the kingdom? Jesus said no. Jesus disappoints people all the time. So here's your homework. Disappoint somebody. <laughs> this week, that's your homework. This week, you disappoint somebody. Now, make sure you disappoint the right somebody. But your assignment is disappoint somebody. Say no to stuff, at least for one or two things this week, right? Say no to stuff and fast. Say no to activity, a little Sabbath. Say no to approval, disappoint somebody this week. And you know what's going to happen? People have gotten so used to you saying yes that when you say no, first they're going to be shocked, right? And then they're going to try to make you feel guilty. Maybe they'll pout. They'll say, really? Uh, maybe they'll try to make you feel bad. And you know what you need to do? You need to just keep saying no and feel good about saying no, right? Disappoint them. No to stuff, fast. No to activity, Sabbath. No to people, Seeking God's approval, not other people's approval. That's tough, right? Now, a lot of you are thinking, well, Charles, if you would say no to the rest of this sermon, we could go home. <laughs> yeah, but we can't do that yet. And here's why. See, if we stop right there, that would be a pretty good, you know, maybe self-help, pull your you know, life up by your bootstraps kind of talk. And so, you know, muster up the courage Say no to stuff, say no to activity, say no to pleasing people, go get them, guys. Yeah, but that's not how real transformation happens. It doesn't happen on the outside. It's not outside in, it's inside out. And the passage tells us that. In the preceding chapter, Luke chapter 3, um, Jesus shows up at the Jordan River to be baptized, right, this follow, that temptation stuff follows his baptism. Here's what we read in Luke chapter 3. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. As he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in bodily form like a dove. 
And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Notice all three members of the Trinity show up, right? The sun's in the water, the spirit descending like a dove, the father booming from heaven. You're my son. I love you. I'm well pleased with you. Did you notice one common element in all of the no's, all the good no's? Here's the common element. You can only say no if you know your identity and you know your mission. Isn't that how Joseph could say no? Isn't that how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could say no? Isn't that how Nehemiah could say no? And isn't that how Jesus says no? With the words of his father still echoing in his ears, you are my son whom I love. With you I'm well pleased. Jesus knows who he is. Why do we often say yes to stuff when we should say no, yes to activity when we should say no, and yes to people when we should say no? Because we're trying to create an identity in the things that we possess, in the things that we do, and in certain people's opinions of us. If you know your identity, you're able to say no to stuff you should say no to. And if you know your mission, you can say no to what's not part of the mission. Jesus never forgot who he was. He never forgot what he came to do. In fact, some of the last words that Jesus says or no. When Jesus is hanging on the cross, a group of people come and mock him, slandering him, abusing him, challenging him. And some of them say this. If you were the son of God, save yourself. What kind of savior are you? You saved other people. Come on down and save yourself. Jesus says, no. If he would have said yes, he would have saved himself. And he would not have saved any of us. He said no to them so he could say yes to us. And you see, in that, we kind of find the genius of this biblical no idea. The Bible has a lot of no's in it. And if you're not careful, you begin to think of the God as a God that wants us miserable, right? That God's a God who just wants our lives to be no, 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 no. No. The point is, we need to say no to lesser goods so we can say yes to the greatest good. That's the point. We say no to lesser goods so we can say yes to the greatest good. That's the point. Jesus says no to the lesser good, so he says yes to the greatest good. And that's true for us too. Our problem is we're often saying yes to the lesser goods and we don't have time and energy or anything left to say yes to the greater good. It's kind of like you eat all your vegetables and there's no room for dessert. What's the point of that? you got to say no in order to say yes. God's not a God of deprivation. God is a God of abundance. But you've, but you've got to say no to lesser goods in order to say no to the greater good. Jesus knew his identity. He knew his mission. Therefore, he could say no, and he could say yes. Well, some of you are probably sitting there saying, huh, 
Well, that's good for Jesus. He's like God's son, and he never screwed up. I'm a major screw-up. I'm still in trouble. That's true. That's why I want to end with the best no in the Bible. You know the best no in the Bible? The best no is not in Luke 4. The best no is in Romans 8. Here's the best no in the Bible. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. That's the best no in the Bible. My hope is when you're sitting there thinking, you know what, that, that's pretty good news. Yeah, the problem is you only think it's pretty good news because you don't feel the weight of the bad news. The bad news is condemnation. When you feel the weight of condemnation, that good news becomes great news, right? Let me tell you the context of that Romans 8 deal. In Romans chapter 7, here's what Paul says. Um, As I was growing up, I tried to be a really good little boy, and I tried to be a good young man, and here's what I did. I came up with a whole bunch of thoughts, wrote them down on a list. I came up with a bunch of thoughts that I should never think. And I came up with a whole bunch of words that I should never say. And I came up with a whole bunch of things that I should never do. And I called those things the do not do list. Don't do these thoughts. Don't have these thoughts. Don't do these actions. Don't say those words. I came up with the list. And I thought those thoughts. And I did those deeds. And I said those words. I screwed up. And he said, I tried it the other way. I came up with a list of thoughts that I really should think, words that I should say, things that I should do, and I didn't do any of those things. The things I should think, I didn't think. The things I should do, I didn't do. The things I should say, I didn't say. But the things I shouldn't say, that's what I said. The things I shouldn't think, that's what I thought. I did everything that I shouldn't do, and I didn't do everything I should do. And then he concludes by saying, wretched man that I am. That's condemnation. You feel the weight of that? There's not a person in this room that doesn't fit in that category of wretch. I looked up what wretch means in a thesaurus just to make sure you know it fits. I was going to read a list of you, but I figured instead I would come up with the definitions. So here's what wretch means according to the thesaurus. A lowlife, outcast, pariah, scum, loser, despicable, vile. That about covers us, right? Now the problem is we show up on Sunday mornings and you all look pretty good. Not all of you, but you look pretty good. And, you know, I probably look half decent, right? Kim dresses me. I, I... But, boy, you don't have to know somebody too deeply at all to realize they're a mess. And you don't have to look too deeply inside until you realize you're a mess too. And there's a mess sitting up here talking about your mess. Let me mention just a few of the things that I know about people from Calvary Church. I talked to Ray, pastor of Congregational and Community Care, late in the week. I said, how's it going, Ray? He said, ah, well, it's been a tough week. So why is that? He said, I talked to over 40 people this week in the midst of some kind of crisis or pain. And over 30% of them are addicted to opioids and they see no hope.
That's just people connected to Calvary Church. Families have been destroyed. Everything's been tried. They're stuck, can't get out, don't have the resources to change. He said, I regularly deal with people asking me to go to court with them, whether they're on trial for shoplifting, whether they're going to seal the divorce, whether they're gone because they were just convicted of murder. I go and sit in court with lots of people from Calvary Church. If you're in one of those situations, you feel the weight of condemnation. But the truth of the matter is, we're all in that seat, aren't we? I mean, we're broken and in bondage, just like the most addicted person around. And if our full report was known, nobody would want to sit next to you either. And if we were put on trial for things that we've done, how about for things we've thought or felt, there's not one of us that would be able to leave that courtroom guiltless or acquitted. When you feel the weight of condemnation, all of a sudden, that no becomes the best news in the Bible, doesn't it? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. That's great news. So here's the point. Where do we get the confidence to say no well, it's going to be wrapped up in our identity. And what's our identity? We're children of God, not because we deserve it, but because Jesus said no, so he could say yes to us. Now he invites us to be brothers and sisters with him. He said no, so he can say yes. Now there's no condemnation. And now we know something about our identity. We know something about our mission. And if we find our identity rooted in Jesus, we can say no to all other things, trying to find our identity in stuff, trying to find our identity in activity, trying to say no in approval. We can say no to those things because our identity is in Jesus. And when we say no to our identity and anything else, now we can say no to the mission of accumulating more stuff. We can say no to the mission of more, acti of more activity. We can say no to the mission of trying to please everybody, and we can say yes to the mission of continuing what Jesus started. You see, this isn't screwing up the courage to say no, no, no. It's knowing where, what your identity is, knowing what your mission is, and then you say no to building your identity on anything else. And you say no to competing missions because you say yes to the mission of following Jesus. Oh yeah, just one more thing. We continue what Jesus started. Sometimes you hear people say we follow Jesus. Now just say maybe one second. If we're following Jesus and Jesus regularly says no, remember, you can only follow somebody if you're behind them. Make sure you don't get ahead. If Jesus is saying no, we had better be saying no so we stay behind him. And when you stay behind him, you follow him, finding your identity in him and your mission, continuing what he started.